0: Hi, I'm George Techmanchov On today's Easton Target Archery Podcast, we have a special guest who basically needs no introduction if you know anything at all about Target Archery. It is Olympian Brady Ellison of the United States of America. It's always great to be able to talk with our buddy Brady Ellison. Brady, how you been? Uh
1: doing really good, man, really good.
0: So much to talk about, and uh you know, one of the one of the ways I want to start was talking to you about that sort of impromptu participation in that big Japanese virtual tournament that took place this past weekend. Um, If I recall correctly, I think I called you on Thursday because the organizers asked me to reach out to you. And uh, you got ready to rumble and turned in a great score. Yeah, I mean, it's nice.
1: Like, we really have nothing going on right now, and I'm shooting my bow every day, so it wasn't really that hard to print out the scorecards and write it
0: down and and send it in. We're doing it all the time anyway. So, so yeah, talk about that a little bit from the standpoint of, of what you're doing right now with coach Lee and the training program. Everything is kind of remote. All the RAs are kind of doing their own thing under supervision. Um, what, what is your typical training plan right now?
1: So right now it's, um, You know, we, it's kind of funny. We left California when they first did, like, the two-week stay-at-home order or whatever. And we're like, well, it's perfect. We'll go home, get taxes done, shoot Arizona Cup, and then we'll be back. You know, it's only going to be two weeks. Well, we're still here. Yeah. and Two weeks
0: turned uh, into three months.
1: Yeah. And so it's been kind of nice. Like, we took some time off and just kind of enjoyed Life and, and family and just kind of doing things that we've never had time to do. And then now that tournaments are starting to kick back up, we've, uh, we've been training Toy and I full time since July. Uh, is when we picked up our bows again, uh, full time, at least, you know, we're, we're playing, but not anything serious. And we've been doing that. And, you know, we get up at the alarm set at 530 in the morning and then we get up and we shoot until it gets too hot. And then we kind of just hang out in the middle of the day. Maybe go do a project or work on the house or do something that needs to get done. And then we head back out at about five o'clock and shoot till dark.
0: Yeah. So, I'll, about how many arrows do you think you're talking about here on a typical? Uh, you know, I know there's no such thing as a typical day, but how many arrows are you are you plugging down? Um, I know it,
1: it's pretty often the uh, two hundred fifty eight and then uh you know once i feel like i'm back in shape and i get all my calluses back to where i want them and i could shoot uh 250 arrows a day with absolutely like feel 100 percent strong i'll start ramping back up i i tried to shoot the other day i shot a big day i shot 250 in one session and that uh i wasn't quite ready for that yet so i'm um, just taking it slow you know as you get older you train smarter. And, and just making sure that, you know, I'm putting in a lot of good arrows right now. And then it'll slowly ramp up what my body wants
0: to. Yeah, quality over quantity for sure. So, you know, if you look at this from the perspective of the scores, though, you know, you turned in a rocking score. And, um, you know, I mean, that's that's a competitive score in any event. From the standpoint of, uh, you know, maybe you'd like another five points or so, you know, get you over the 700. <laughs> But, you know, in reality, you just really um, are are getting back into a training cycle. So that bodes awfully well for your ability to come back after some time off, have your head space where it needs to be. Um, Does that give you more confidence as you look at the next 11 months to prepare for Tokyo?
1: Yeah, I definitely think so. And I think this, this COVID thing, as much as it sucks, like it gave it gave my body a break that it hasn't had since 2006. And so that's kind of nice to just, I it recovered and now getting back to the next quarter that they were. And I would say that I'm starting to shoot even more consistent. Um, pretty excited have a new uh, product coming out that we're going to uh, probably announce at NASH. And I actually feel like, as simple as this is, like my scores have become a lot more consistent, not necessarily higher, but my lows are getting a lot better. So I'm just kind of excited about the tree right now. Like my scores are good. Um I've been doing a lot of training. Uh almost all all the things I've been shooting at have I've been shooting at seventy five meters. Um, not really by choice, just my range kinda of got flooded and where my target was sitting, I either have to shoot like 68 meters or 75 meters
0: so go for the low so i push
1: my target back yeah I've, i i pushed my target back and i just got the range fixed again and i need to do some, a couple more things and then i'll be able to put a target wherever i want again but you know it's just kind of been enjoyable it's kind of something different you know it's only five more meters but it was actually really hard at first even to shoot a 340 and i was like man like i didn't think that it would just make that much difference but now i'm starting to shoot you know this morning i shot a 350 and like a 346 or something so um you know i'm starting to get back to the 690 scores all the time at 75 meters so it's kind of exciting and it's just far enough that i can still shoot really good but my mistakes are bigger so i can't be lazy about things and you know, it's something I've never really done before, and I'm kind of liking it at
0: the moment. No, it's a brilliant idea. You know, if you think about it, all aspects of it are, even though it's five meters, it doesn't sound like much, but it is a lot. Um, and you're talking about a situation where, you know, the target looks different, it looks smaller, um, it's less forgiving, as you pointed out, and it will keep you sharper. And also, you know, you've got the benefit of the target looking about the size of the moon when you when you do go back to normal distance. So it's all good for your mental game yeah. and, and your technique. More people should think about that.
1: You know, and it, it's just, it's just kind of interesting and, and fun to do. You know, it's like I hadn't shot 70 meters in a month or two, uh, and then I stepped forward to 70 meters for that tournament, and what I considered not felt like I was shooting very good, I, I posted that score, and I'm like, huh. Well, this is obviously working, so I'm excited to go to nationals, and hopefully we have a a few tournaments that we could shoot this year and and just go see how all this kind of new stuff that I've been doing without anyone watching uh, pans out.
0: No doubt. World Archery has uh, recently announced their calendar plans for next year, and that contains a ton of stuff. And, um, you know, I I think that obviously people like you at your level – around the world are waiting for that to figure out, Okay, here's both my training plan and my travel plan, um, you know, uh, with what's coming up. So what are are your goals? If you if you've looked at the calendar, what are your goals right now to ramp up and step things up to be ready for Tokyo? You and I talked the other day and one of the things you had in mind was what can we do to get a full team for the U.S.? That's one of the things that was on your mind.
1: Yeah, I I definitely feel uh, the most important tournament next year is definitely going to be Paris. It's going to be even more important than the games.
0: Yeah, the final qualifying tournament.
1: Yeah, that's the one that we're going to have to kind of really peek at. And then, you know, peak there, get our spots for the team, and then as a team, train and carry that excitement of having our spots into the games. And uh, it, the tournament schedule is super crazy next year, but at the same time, I think that'll be good after a year of not competing to go shoot in a bunch of events before the, before the games and kind of knock off the dust and kind of see where everyone's sitting before the games.
0: Sure. You've got the uh, World Cup stuff, which is going to be uh, staged in... Guatemala, Shanghai, and as you mentioned, China, or excuse me, uh, uh, Paris, and that yep. stage three of the World Cup, of course, is separate from the final qualifying tournament for Tokyo. But uh, Paris will be uh, will be that. And in fact, Tom Dillon was telling us that the FQT will actually take place before the World Cup portion of this. So that'll uh, that'll yep. be a little uh, different. Yeah, and, and I mean it'll be good. Like
1: go there and shoot it, and the World Cup's either going to be a lot of fun or not so much fun, depending on how it goes for certain countries. So it'll just kind of be interesting, you know. We've never been in this position before, so it's kind of all new, but I feel like we're prepared, and we had a year to get better than we were last year. So,
0: Yeah. Let me change gears on you a bit. We talked about your recurve training plan and how you've ramped up, and you picked up the recurve again in July, but just recently – You went out back east and you shot the OPA, the uh, Organization for Professional Archers 3D tournament with your compound bow, and you did really well. In fact, you you scared quite a few of the mainline 3D guys. So, uh, do you mind talking about that a bit? Tell us about what that experience was like.
1: Yeah, and I felt definitely like, you know, times are hard right now, and OPA is a big money event. So, uh, I, I practiced a lot actually for that then, probably more than I have for anything with the compound in, in 15 years, since 2005. And uh, I, I shot a lot and I was feeling really good going into the tournament and Toyo was shooting really good. And I really just, I got a little bit nervous and um, made a couple of mistakes on the first station, you know, because we shot 20 targets a day but there was four stations with five targets at each station. And I, I just, I shot a horrible first station and then I fought my way back and ended up into the money uh, by the end of it all. I just barely made the shoot down. And I really shot good enough to make the shoot down. I just, a few mistakes here and there and an unfortunate gla- glance out. And you know, I was really happy actually with how I shot. I felt like it was nice to finally be able to practice with the compound again and figure some things out and and be competitive again with it, whereas before, you know, i kind of pick it up and play with it, and you're like, yeah, well, this isn't just going to happen, but I'm still just going to go. And so it, it's good, and it finally felt good that, you know, practicing with the compound that I was finally able to shoot better scores with my compound than my recur, which had always frustrated me. Uh-huh. You know, and Toy and I were talking about this, and I actually think that in a tournament outdoors, my... I. I have shot a higher score with my recurve than I have with my compound sure. in a tournament. So we have to, at some point in time, rectify that. <laughs> well, I'm sure you.
0: I'm sure you will eventually. But you know, just as we've said to many people before, shooting the compound at the highest level. Let, let me let me back up. Shooting a compound at a high level is relatively not difficult for most accomplished recurve shooters if they are taught correctly to manipulate the release. The hard part is shooting it at a high level. It's just as hard as shooting a recurve.
1: 100%.
0: And so, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize that. And, you know, as as WA and some of its sponsors are working on programs to try to create a path for Olympic compound in the future, um, some people have looked at that and gone, well, that's the easy button, but it's really not. You have to have just just as much dedication, application to the shot the Metal game is arguably worse it's more difficult, I should say, with the compound um, you know maybe elaborate on that a little bit, and also maybe uh share with our listeners the story you told me about Toya giving you some advice about the mental game when you went out there with the compound as far as uh you know what your place was. she kind of put you in your place a little bit, didn't she <laughs> yeah,
1: and um you know it's. It's funny, you know, like what she told me is she's like, you know, you are mentally tougher than anyone else in the real world and you're just geared towards recurve. And she goes, you still have the same mental game with a compound, but you're kind of a rookie with a compound. Like you haven't really competed in 15 years with one. So when you get in a moment, you're going to make the mistakes that you normally wouldn't make. And she goes, and that's what's happened. So you just need to look out that for next time. And I was like, you know what, you know, it's so true and you know she shot good she ended up doing what she had to do and win it you know they, they changed the format to where uh it wasn't a cumulative was scoring like once you were in the top five for the shoot down at zero. it a, she just kind of played it safe and made sure that she was in the top five and then uh did what she had to do to win it yeah so that was really good and you know mentally there's just it's a different shot routine and there's some different things. And with the recurve, you know, you can miss where a compound you have it that you can't miss. So it just kind of, it's harder with the compound not to be careful, you know, and with the recurve, you can just go with it. With the compound, you're always kind of like, well, I can't make a mistake. I can't make a mistake. And that's kind of hard to get over.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because of, of, of the nature of the, you know, the nature of the compound challenge and the mentality of the compound shooter, it is it is different. With recurve, we're trying to hit. And with compound, we're, you know, we're trying not to miss. And it's a different different game and a different mental game. But, uh, yeah. So, yep. yeah, speaking of Toya, she did great in that tournament, obviously, as you alluded to. And there's some pretty exciting news for the Ellison household there, too. You want to get into that a bit? <laughs> yeah, we're having a baby boy tied to for
1: Ellison. He's doing the December and super excited he's doing really good super healthy everything looks really good on all of our doctor's appointments and he's getting super strong. He's moving around and toy's belly moving now and i can feel him kick all the time so yeah it's just super exciting and super awesome and i just whenever he's ready to come he can come but i sure can't wait to you
0: know i can only imagine you know you've got a situation there where you've got the uh Potential for another super archer, but as we were joking about, the first thing you're going to do is get some golf clubs, right?
1: Yeah, the first thing that's going in his hand is a golf club, <laughs> and then if, if he wants to be an archer, I'll let him. But <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, I think I think golf yeah, the, might the be, ar- you know, from a, from an income standpoint, Brady. Yeah. You know, well, all joking aside, you know, you know
1: archery going. The, the way archery is going, I mean, we could talk a lot about how the industry's on a small decline and there's less hunters and all that stuff, but the target side's really growing, and I do feel like there's getting more and more money into the sport. So who knows in another 15 years, 18 years when he just decides if he wants to turn pro and stuff, you know, We archers could be making a lot more money and it could be a lot more viable. Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing to slow that down. And, you know, I think that you have a role and people of, of your level have a role in creating the excitement that the media needs to see in order to elevate our sport. You've already done a lot to elevate the profile of our sport. You know, World Archery has a documentary about you coming out pretty soon which is going to be mainstream. It's going to a lot of people that don't know <laughs> archery and it's going to have the potential to make a big difference in the perception of our sport, I think. Yeah. So from that perspective. Definitely. Thanks for doing your part to 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 make archery bigger and better than it has been and you know oh, you know I, I appreciate it. It's certainly one of those one of those rare opportunities that we have to sort of, you know, take what we have from within and allow it to go as far as it can go with the general public. You know, we've had a, we've been blessed with a number of shooters who've done some of that in the past. You know, you can go back to, um, I would say Jay bars, for example, helping to, you know, back in 88, you know, NBC featured him as kind of the cool guy rocking out on the field with the headphones. And Justin, of course, Justin Hewish did a tremendous amount to uh, elevate the profile of archery among ordinary people for a while you know back in the mid 90s and and I think again here we are with you doing what you've done um on every level and you know th- this thing in Japan this past weekend that was a good example you know you had well over a thousand people participating in that thing they wanted you in there as much as anything else to feel like hey I got to shoot with Brady Ellison and that's great for archers but yeah. it's also great because uh, just like with the lockdown challenge that world archery had put on a lot of regular folks in Japan got to see your performance during that event because it was live on NHK. And it was, you know, one of those things that again took archery and put it out in front of the public. And I think that you've been consistently great with, with helping our sport by doing that Brady. So I, I think on behalf of all of us, uh, thank you for all that. Oh, well, yeah,
1: I appreciate it. And you know, it's, at times a frustrating part of the sport but really the beauty of our sport is anyone that shoots can stand right next to the best that we have in the world and there's not very many sports where you know i can't go golf and be on the same course or in the same group as tiger woods right but you know here people can shoot with me they could shoot with the koreans you know there there's just an openness about it where everyone can come and compete with the
0: best of the best. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the unique and special aspects of our sport that has always made it very attractive to people starting out that thought that, you know, I could be on the line next to Brady Ellison in Vegas, or I could be on the line next to, you know, Daryl Pace at Nationals. You know, that's the kind of thing that certainly is special in our sport, because you're never, even you, Brady, might never be on a tee box with Tiger Woods unless it's some kind of a, you know, charity event or something, you're not going to be out there gunning for money. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe you are, Yeah, (laughs) but you know, I mean, you never know. I'm not going to put it beyond you, but uh, you know, just the, the element of how people love your image and what you've done to maintain a great image and um, integrity in our sport has been Tremendous for it. And I, you know, when when I go to France and I see every volunteer in a big tournament wearing a shirt with your image on it, that speaks volumes for what people around the world think of Brady Ellison.
1: It's kind of cool. Like, I I never would have guessed, and I actually never even wanted, like, my career to turn out, like, with the fan base that it's had. And, you know, I still don't understand it at times because I just feel like I'm just this regular kind of country kid that just happens to be really good with a bow and I get this following all over the world and it just, it, it humbles me and I'm so thankful that I have the following that I have it's it's truly amazing and humbling
0: Yeah, but you understand that that very factor, the way that you react to it, is part of the reason why people really enjoy being associated with you, you know, it's it's that humbleness that genuine, nice guy persona that I think People pick up on, and I think that makes a huge, you know, huge advantage for you there. So keep being Brady, I guess is the, the, (laughs) the, you know.
1: Yeah, no fear of that.
0: Hey, let's talk a little bit about some of your teammates and, um, you know, some more about the potential for the U.S. to kind of step up. Sort of a mixed blessing, of course, the situation with COVID, as you pointed out, and the year long delay to the games, but it does seem to have given a few other folks an opportunity to step up their game even further. I'm going to single out Jack Williams, who participated with you in the Japan event, as one of those people. Jack has uh, come along really well.
1: Yes, he has, and and he's starting to shoot really good. Um, You know, last year was kind of a breakout year for him. He shot really well, almost made the World Cup final, and he was right there, and and he's getting even better now. Um, He's starting to shoot a lot more consistent 680s, which is really, and, you know, he he's broke 700 in practice a couple of times, which, you know, not a lot of people ever come close to. So I think it's absolutely awesome to have another shooter shooting at that level and, you know, just need to get it to where he's confident enough to be able to do that every single time.
0: Sure, and with 11 months to go and working with it's you there. and Coach Lee and the rest of the program, he has that potential. And a couple of the other guys are also starting to move up in terms of their potential as well. So, what do you think about the potential for a a team round? I, I know it's it's you know so far out, but you know if you could, if if you could wave your magic wand and know that you could qualify a team, do you think you guys would be ready to rumble in Tokyo? Uh, I I really do.
1: Um, you know I think. I think there's a a possibility that it's going to be a new team besides me. I really think that on the team, um, it's going to be me. I think Jack definitely makes the team. And then there's four or five guys that are going to be kind of in the same group that are going to battle it out. You have Matt Nofel, who's doing well. Uh, Matt Reckle has been in the game a long time and is always solid. You know, he kind of was injured uh, last year of the year before, and then has, has fought his way back and, and has gotten himself picked, And, you know, he's always been a solid 670 shooter. You know, he's one of the few the few people in the U.S. that has shot a 670 in a tournament. Um, you know, that number's growing, which is good, but there's still not a of guys that have done it. And he's been top eight in a World Cup, so he, he's he been around, and he knows how to play the game. Um, you have Trenton Cowell, who, um, you know, who knows might turn into something. Actually, I don't know if he's in trials or not, too. But he's our number four guy, you know, so there's, there's a chance t- of him turning. Um, you have Tom Stanwood, who is an older guy with a great mental attitude and, and, like, full, and a, a, full time, and a full-time
0: job, I'll note. <laughs>
1: you know. Yeah, and but, but he has the right mental attitude. He has the, the competitiveness, the drive. That that would be really good on a team, and you know Zach was another year behind the bow. I mean, if he could get back to where he was shooting six nineties before, if he got back to six nineties, and you have Jack and I shooting six nineties, pushing seven hundred, that's going to be a team that's hard to beat. Yep. So you know that I think that I think that by the time comes that we have a good chance at getting our spots, and we have a good chance of medaling again.
0: Well, I certainly agree, and I think that uh, you're putting in the work. I know the other guys are putting in the work. It's a very competitive situation, but I also know that when you set your mind to getting something done, you tend to get it done. So from that perspective, I think um, you will be an important part of the effort, along with Coach Lee, along with the program, and, of course, along with the hard work of everybody in the team, to do the very best you can to get that team slot. What about the women's side Definitely. of things? Uh, do you have any perspective on that right now, how things are standing?
1: Uh, you know, I, I think Casey has been a blessing uh, to the US, someone so young, someone with so much fire that has that international drive. Absolutely. To to, to do better. Um, she's only going to get better the older she gets if, if you know, she sticks with it. Mackenzie is solid. Yep. Um, She is shooting better, and she's in a good place right now. And then uh, I I don't know on the third. There's a ton of girls that shoot good some days, shoot bad some days. You know, the one that I was impressed with last year that became really consistent and a little bit better throughout the year was Aaron Rickleberry. Right. Um, Pretty experienced shooter there, too. Yes, she's been around a while. She was solid. We... We worked on her mental game a little bit we were able to shoot mixed teams and i was kind of able to give her a different perspective than she's had before and uh talking with her she she's really fired up and she really wants to do well and and she was consistent last year i would say actually out of everyone she may have not have always been the highest scoring girl on our team but she was very consistent everywhere she went and You know, we get that consistency up another five or ten points, and and that's another good shooter. So I think the women have a strong chance. Um, I think this year really helps them a lot. So it's just going to see. You know, they're going to have to, just like all of us, they're going to have to show up and put the arrows in the middle when they need to.
0: Brady, as always, you've been super generous with your time. And just to close things out because we're coming up on half an hour here, I would like to get your perspective on giving any advice you have to other shooters out there who've had to endure through the forced lockdowns in a lot of places and talk about your advice for keeping the fire lit and keeping up their goals so that they can come back and be stronger when they start again. Do you have any thoughts about that? Definitely.
1: I mean, this is one of those things that it, it may feel like the end of the world to a lot of us, but this was completely out of our control. This was nothing that we expected. We've ever lived through anything. And when something's out of our control, you kind of just have to accept it in a way and, and do the best we can. You know, when you can't shoot, you could always shoot in your head and you could always stay strong mentally. You could fix things in your shot and do everything else in your head. So when you can't get your bow back, in your hand again, you're that much farther ahead. And, you know, your your body can't tell the difference between something that's vividly imagined and and something that's real. So if you really train mentally in your head and make the changes, when you come back, once you get the strength back, those changes will be made for you. And you can improve even though you're not shooting. And I think it's just, it's out of our control and we have to do the best that we can with it and just hope that it's over sooner than later.
0: Can't think of better advice. Brady Ellison, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's, as always, a great pleasure talking with you. Uh,
1: Thanks for having me again. Really enjoying it, guys.